Hey everybody, Justin White here, and you are about to check out episode 22 of Power Forward. Our guest is Hannah Huseman, and she is a mental skills coach for the Philadelphia Phillies. Get your notepads out for this one, folks, because Hannah has some fascinating thoughts on how we can all achieve peak performance by having the right mindset. We touch on a variety of topics, from the importance of analyzing successes as much as failures, to how we can change behaviors and not just actions. That and more comes your way with Hannah Huseman right now on Power Forward. The primary purpose of this podcast series is to inform, entertain, and educate. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast series do not constitute legal or other professional advice, opinions, or endorsements of any kind. This is Power Forward. All right, welcome back to Power Forward. Justin White alongside Mateen Cleves. Mateen, what's happening, my friend? Living a dream, Jay White. Please don't wake me up. All right, well, if you um, notice a little less enthusiasm at the, at the start of our show today, it is because we are uh, recording this episode about 48 hours uh, after the news broke that Kobe Bryant, uh, the Lakers legend, uh, passed away tragically in that helicopter crash mm. uh, in Southern California. Mateen, I know that your history with Kobe goes way back. Um, you played against him in the NBA. Uh, you played against him in the McDonald's All-American game before that. Uh, when you think about Kobe Bryant, what comes to mind for you? Well, first of all, Justin, I was devastated when I got the news that he passed away. Uh, we lost a great one. Uh, not only a great basketball player, but a great person. Uh, you know, Mental toughness is what I think about when you think about Kobe Bryant. I mean, this is the most mentally tough athlete that I was ever around in my life. What was it about him and in, in your interactions with him uh, that made him, like you said, so mentally tough? Well, self-confidence. <clears throat> and then he, he was razor-focused. I remember back in 1996 in the McDonald's All-American game, you know, a lot of us 17, 18-year-old kids just trying to find our way, you know, hoping one day we could play in the NBA. Well, he knew at that moment he was going to play in the NBA. I mean, he was mentally, he was so far ahead of the other players that was there that that week. I mean, it wasn't even close. I mean, that guy there, he just he had it all figured out, Justin, it seems, at, at 17 years old. Yeah, like you said, when, when it comes to, to mental toughness, you, know, you think about guys like Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods and Kobe Bryant. It's, it's a very, very short list of the guys that had that just supreme confidence in their abilities that no matter the stage, no matter the, the competition, uh, that they were going to go out there and they were going get, to get the job done. Exactly, and he was, he was so driven. He was, you know, a lot of people want to be good, but people don't put in the work to be good, to be great. He was willing to do whatever it took to be successful, man. And, and that guy right there went over and beyond. And no surprise, he was by far the Michael Jordan of my era. And, and, and the greatness uh, I saw in him and the great accomplishments he had, no surprise, man. He worked for every last thing, every minute of it. Well, well, well said, Mateen. And, and the mental toughness aspect uh, is a nice segue to our guest uh, on this episode. Uh, we are pleased to be joined by Hannah Huseman. She is a mental performance coach for the Philadelphia Phillies. Hannah, thanks for joining us and, and welcome to Power Forward. 
Hey guys, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here today. I, I know, Hannah, that, that you uh, have posted uh, on social media the last couple of days uh, about Kobe Bryant as well, like, like so many out there in the sports world. Um, what thoughts come to mind for you, especially given your background as a, as a mental skills coach, uh, when you think about the legacy of Kobe Bryant? Yeah, you know, I mean, first thought is just absolute tragedy, right? And just absolute shock, and it's unreal. You know, I, I've had so many people text me and are like, I can't even wrap my mind around that this actually happened. And so I think I think all emotions that we're all feeling are absolutely completely normal. And, you know, a couple conversations that I've had in the last two days are, are just, you know, around all the memories that you hear about him, all the quotes, the, the Mamba mentality, you know, the like, the standard that he set not only for basketball, but for life and for just the mentality of attacking life and what you have to do to be successful. But, you know, some of the most interesting conversations I've been having are, you know, these, these are people who have never met him, you know, never met him, never, maybe even never even seen him in person. They just have seen him on TV. They know what he's about. And it's like, why, why is everyone so, you know, just enamored by him? And why does everybody just feel that personal connection, even if you've never met him before, you know? And I think that's the part that really sticks with me is, is he let you in, you know, anytime you saw him, you heard him, you watched him, like you just felt like you knew him and that you were his best friend, even if you've never even met him before, never even seen him in person before. You knew what kind of person he is, how driven he was, his motivation, his characteristics, his work ethic, his love for his family. And I think to me, that's even bigger, right, than, than basketball, than mental toughness. It's, it's who he was as a person. And without even knowing him, you had a personal connection with him. And I think that speaks volumes. That, that is why his legacy is going to continue on for a really, really long time, because so many people felt that connection, even if they hadn't even met him. And that's, to me, that's incredibly powerful. And you know, you start to dissect that a little bit about why, what about his personality, what about his demeanor, what about his life that people yearn for and love for and looked up to and, and cherished. And it's, it's just pretty amazing, the impact. And, and, you know, you see it and you hate that it took this tragedy to pull a lot of it out. You know, a lot of it was already out there, but it's pretty amazing just already seeing the legacy that he's leaving and, and the big shoes that are left to fill with him being gone now. Yeah, absolutely, and, and you're right. It's going to carry on for a long time because it is such a short list, you know, of of people that kind of transcend the game, like you said, and that really truly hold that that uh, you know term icon. You know, you, you think about people who are viewed as icons, whether it's in the sports world or elsewhere, and uh, Kobe Bryant certainly is is in that club. So uh, thank thank you for for sharing your thoughts on Kobe. Um, and, and as we now transition to you uh, and, and talk about, you know, your job and, and your background um, as a mental skills coach for a professional sports organization, uh, the Philadelphia Phillies, as we said, tell our listeners a little bit about what it is that you do. Yeah. So like you said, my title is a mental performance coach. So I think that's super important just right off the bat to know that and to reiterate that I'm a coach. So I'm not necessarily a psychologist. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a therapist. I'm a coach. So just like you have strength and conditioning coaches, you have hitting coaches, pitching coaches, all different types of coaches, even life coaches. You know, I am specifically a mental skills coach, which just means plain and simple that I work with 
any type of performer, so not necessarily just athletes, but obviously predominantly athletes with the Phillies right now, but working with all types of performers to make their mental skills the best that they can possibly be. Just like you train physically and you train your muscles to be big and faster and stronger and all of those things, whatever you need for your sport or your performance, we're strengthening the mental muscles is basically what, you know, the the curls for the brain um, <laughs> and working on all things related to your performance that are from the mental lens. So instead of focusing on, you know, speed and agilities and all that, we're focusing on confidence, resiliency, motivation, enjoyment, composure, concentration, and basically anything that could impact your performance from a mental perspective. And, and you hit, you said something like far as concentration, and that makes me think like, because I play basketball, and I think like making a free throw uh, has not, it don't have a lot to do with uh, the skill set. It's more mental. Uh, when I look at guys, you know, hitting a baseball, and see, I know it's, you know, you got to have the physical and all that stuff got to add up. But to me, it seems like a lot of that is mental. Um, in your experience, you know, working with um, the Phillies, is that something that you you you, you try to coach the guys up as far as hitting the basketball? I mean, not the basketball, the baseball, as far as just having that right, the, being in the right place mentally when you're going up there to hit the ball. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, like you said, you know, it's it's not typically the physical motion of whatever you're doing, whether it's shooting a free throw, hitting a baseball, pitching a baseball, whatever, you know. It's not the physical thing that gets you. Like, you've shot a million and a half free throws, right? But Mm -hmm. it's the free throw in the game when the game's on the line with seconds left that you have to hit that all of a sudden you can't hit. And that's that's actually a great example because you know you can hit that free throw 10 times out of 10 during practice. Mm -hmm. And so physically, you know you can do it. But then we get in a game or a high-pressure situation or the game's on the line or whatever, and all of a sudden we can't hit it. And to me, that's telling, it's not physical, right? Because you know right. you can do it. And so what is it? It has to be mental. It has to be that mental block. And so that's exactly what we do. You know, we work on all types. We practice imagery. We practice controlling energy regulation, right? Controlling your nerves, like knowing and knowing how to interpret nerves, right? A lot of people are like, I'm so nervous, I can't do it. And it's like, why can't you? You know, why can't you perform well when you have nerves? Right? Maybe nerves are just... Your body telling you you're ready to go. Like, you're not just sitting on the couch watching Netflix, eating popcorn. <laughs> you're, you're doing something that you love, that you want to be really good at. And so maybe your body's just saying, hey, I'm ready. And it's all about how you interpret it. So that is absolutely what we talk about. And what I think truly is what separates, you know, the best of the best. Because the higher up you go, the closer the competition gets, right? When you're in middle school, there's usually a stud. When you're in high school, there's usually a stud, and it's kind of easy to bypass everybody. But then, you know, you get to college, you get to pro ball, it starts to get closer and closer, and it's like, what separates you from him? Like, you both can hit 10 out of 10 free throws during practice. Can you knock it down in the game when the pressure's on the line? And I think that's what is one of the biggest separators. The higher up you go is, you know, the, the clutch factor, the mental factor, the who can be mentally tough during all different types of situations regardless of what the game brings. 
there, there's a lot to unpack with what you just said, but I want to, I want to follow up on, on one thing that you brought up and it, and it relates to nerves. Um, and you and I spoke about this off air, Hannah, you know, and you know, in my, in my former career, you know, being a, a television broadcaster, people always used to ask me, do you still get nervous right before you go on TV? You know, even after doing it for years and years and years. And my answer was always the same. It was Yes. I always get a little bit nervous, but to me, that was always a good thing, and that was because it showed that I cared, and that was what kind of kept me locked in, you know, that little bit of nervousness right before showtime, and Mateen can relate because he was also a broadcaster. Oh, yeah. And whether you're stepping on the court right before tip-off or you're getting ready to put your microphone on right before it's, it's go time and the lights are on and you're on the air, those nerves shows that you care, and, and I agree with you. I think that it's okay to be nervous going into a, a big situation, whether it's a game, um, a business meeting, or, or whatever the case may be. Absolutely. Argue to venture, you know, when I've got guys sitting down and they're like, I just get really nervous for a game, I'm like, you know what would concern me more? Is if you had no nerves, if you had no excitement, if you had no right? I would check your pulse. Because that means, you know, you really don't care, right? You don't care what happens. You don't care what you go out there, whatever happens, happens. You know, you're here. Maybe you're here for other reasons. Maybe you're here for the fame or the money or whatever, you know. And so it's, to me, that's, again, your body just reassuring you like, hey, we're, we're pumped up. We're ready. Our adrenaline is going. We're having physical reactions to a big moment. And it's all in how you interpret it. And, I think, and that is a mental skill, right? How you interpret nerve and anxiety and body, you know, whether it's sweaty palms or your stomach's hurting before a game or you have a headache or whatever it is. I think a huge mental skill is knowing how to interpret that in order it, for it to work for you instead of against you, right? To help your performance instead of hindering your performance. Because everybody, like, not everybody, but most people get those nerves, right? And it's, who can capitalize on them versus who gets debilitated by them. And I think that's what set, sets people apart is, is knowing how to handle those in different situations for sure. But oh. no, it's totally normal. And I encourage it. And I'm like, look for the nerves and know, and like be aware, right? A lot of what I do is talking about awareness. And if you're aware, Hey, it's game day, I'm starting pitcher or I'm starting today, or we got a big game today. You know, the pressure's on the line seasons on the line. I know I'm going to be nervous. I know I may be a little more nervous than usual. Like telling yourself that beforehand, then all of a sudden you're a little bit more nervous than you thought you were going to be. And you're like, hey, I planned for this. I knew this was going to happen. This isn't a complete shock. I don't have to, you know, have a total freak out before the game. And I can just kind of use that for me. And that kind of falls into the realm of the start of the game, too. Like maybe you're, maybe you just have a little bit more control over the nerves that day, right? Instead of letting the nerves control you. And, and I, you know, me personally, I'm a big believer in uh, preparation brings confidence. And, you know, if you're prepared, um, that should help the nerves somewhat. But yet, I'm sure you've went across people, I mean, that work hard, they, they, they train, but as soon as the lights come on or the, the, the smell of popcorn in the stadium or you have a crowd full of people you have to perform in front of, then, you know, the nerves just kind of get a little wacky. Have you run into any people like that? Yeah, absolutely. Like, and, and I totally agree that preparation breeds confidence and helps channel those nerves. So that kind of goes along um, with things that are inside of your control, right? There's, mm -hmm. there's a lot in the game of sports that's out of your control, especially baseball, 
probably basketball, right? You can't control what the other team's going to run. You can't control what your teammates are going to do. Right. All you can control is, you know, the two things that are a little cliche but are true. That's your attitude and your effort, right? Yes. But then the third piece is your preparation. You control how you prepare. And that's like, and, and that 100% affects confidence, affects nerves. And if you're prepared, if you're as prepared as you can possibly be, you are definitely a little more even killed than the guy who hasn't prepared enough, right? It's just like a presentation. It's just like a test, right? Yeah. If you go into a test and know you've studied everything you possibly can, then you're good. You're good. If, if you walk out of there with a C and you did all you could, that's okay, right? But if you walk in there and you're freaking out because you haven't even looked at the notes, right, then then you walk out with an F and you have every right to be disappointed, right? But, no, preparation is a huge piece that I talk about a lot because it is something that you can control. But, of course, you have people who – I think this is the coolest part about mental skills, too, is especially in baseball, and I'm sure it's true in most sports and most performances, is like you said, right, you can do everything in order to be confident, in order to lower your nerve, in order to play your best, in order to succeed. And you still may not succeed. And I think that's the beauty of sport, right, is you can do everything right and still lose. You can do everything right and still fail. But at least you're putting yourself in a chance and giving yourself the opportunity to be as successful as possible or giving yourself more time to be successful than if you hadn't prepared or hadn't um, done whatever you needed to do in order to get ready. So. You know, I'm, I'm always saying, like, just because you do all of these things doesn't automatically mean you're going to be the best basketball player in the world or doesn't mean you're going to be successful every time, right, because that's not true. But I can guarantee you that you'll have more opportunities to be successful if you do do it. Hannah, you know, Mateen played basketball. We, we've also had a former NFL football players on our show. But but baseball is really interesting. You're, you're the first person we've had from, from that sport. And, and I want to ask you specifically about um, mental performance in a sport like baseball where, let's be honest, if you fail seven out of ten times, you're going to be an all-star and, and quite possibly a, a Hall of Famer because, you know, failure is such a huge part of baseball. You know, guys strike out all the time, especially with the hitters. Um, w- when you think about it through that lens, what is the approach that you take, especially with the hitters, to try and put them in the best possible position to go up there to the plate and succeed? Yeah, so it, it goes right along with everything we just talked about, right? It's They know that, right? They know that you fail a lot, you fail more than you succeed in the sport of baseball, especially like specifically from the viewpoint of a hitter, right? And and they know that, and they still want to succeed all the time, right? So perfectionistic mindset is very big in baseball. Um, like let's say a guy goes three for four when they're hitting, right? Which means three of the four times they had at bats, they got on base somehow, some way. And most of the athletes will be worried about the one at bat that they didn't get on. Right. And you're like, whoa, 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 hold on. You went three for four today. And so a lot of it is making sure that with all of the negative and all of the failure that they're able to see the positives and the successes, too. And that we make sure like with every failure, we see a success. Right. So like we see something successful. So even though technically you got out on this at bat, what did you do right? What can we take from that and grow from that and learn from that and continue to grow even though maybe statistically it doesn't look that way right so uh, pretty cliche again like 
most people know, don't worry about the stats in baseball, right? Because stats don't tell everything. And so we're constantly saying that and just making sure that they're paying attention more to the things that they can control versus the things that they can't. And again, like in baseball, majority of the things are outside of their control, right? They could, they could see a perfect pitch and swing and do everything they're supposed to do and have a plan and completely miss it. Or, and the next time they come and do the exact same thing and hit a home run off the exact same pitch, right? And so it's, it's really trying to make sure that they're focusing on the things that they can control rather than getting super bogged down and discouraged by all of the things that are outside of their control that, you know, the outside world of baseball kind of puts that pressure and that weight towards, whether it's winning and losing or striking out or hitting a home run or being the MVP, whatever it is, you know, we really just try to make sure that the energy and time that they're giving to their game is at least on something that is inside their control. And they're not just wasting that precious, you know, mental practice time. I love that. I, and I, I had a conversation with a kid. He was mad. He wasn't playing enough. And he would get so mad. And I said, hey, man, you can't control if the coach is going to put you in or not. What you can control is being productive when you're out on the floor. So stop worrying about a lot of the things that you can't control. Now, let me, let me ask you this question because I've been around some people, whether it was business or, or in sports, that very driven. I mean, really driven to be successful. But then – puts a lot of pressure on themselves um, to be successful. Like, what advice would you have for someone like that, like kind of like trying to find that balance? Yeah, you want to – you're driven to be successful, but it's okay, Um, you know, if you don't reach a certain goal or if you make a mistake while you're trying to to reach a certain goal or so. Yeah, I think those are some of the most challenging people to work with, right? It's because they – they're like, no, I'm, I'm never going to be okay until I reach this, until I do this, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that is where it come, becomes a little bit dangerous because you could potentially have that perfectionistic mindset and that can create burnout, that can create frustration because nothing you ever do is good enough. And that's where it becomes dangerous is like you're never happy with your performance because you can always – find something that can be better and like you look at the best of the best and make they'll say the same thing they'll be like yeah i had a great game but there's still ways to improve there's always going to be ways to improve and so with those people i really try to challenge them to find the small daily wins because usually those people are really really good about giving you a list of 15 things that they could improve on and then you ask that same person well what did you do well today and they may, seriously, they may not be able to come up with one thing, even though they might have had the, one of the best games of their career. That's a or good they point. they the best player on the team that day. Like, it's, it's incredibly challenging for those people to see the good. So another good way to do this is let them say, okay, you're complaining, you're mad, you're upset about your game. Tell me three things you want to improve on. Okay, boom, 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 they rattle those off. Now tell me three things you did really, really well in today's game. And usually that's pretty challenging. Hmm. And that kind of helps them to just balance. Like you are not allowed to sit here and think about the 30 things that you can improve on because that's a waste of time, right? Think about one, two or three things. Then think about one, two or three things you're doing well, find that balance and then continue to grow on a daily basis. Because my biggest fear for that is you're never going to be happy. You're going to burn out. You're going to lose the love of the sport, the love of the performance, whatever you're doing. And then you're really 
you're going to spend your whole career chasing something, whether you reach it or not. Let me tell you something. Even if you reach it, you're probably still not going to be happy. Like, even if you're an MVP player, if you're a Hall of Famer, like, you may still be like, there's more. I could be the best of the Hall of Fame. I could be the best player of all, of all time, right? And it's still, it's probably not going to be enough for you just because that's how your mind works. That's how driven you are. There, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I think it takes someone helping them see the perspective of the things that they're doing well and the things that they're good at, as well as you're right, we're going to continue to get better, but we're also going to make sure you know what you're doing well right now because you've got to enjoy this. You've got to love this. Having fun is a huge part that I'm trying to almost reteach some of our guys, right? Because as competitive as like high school sports and travel sports are getting now, the fun is getting sucked right out of it. And so it's like, do you know you're actually going to play better if you have fun? What if you go out there and you smile a little bit more and I can almost guarantee you you're going to play better? <laughs> because if you're having fun, if you enjoy what you do, you're going to be better at it. Think about it. Yeah. If you're in a relationship and you enjoy that relationship, you're going to be a better spouse, right? If you enjoy being a dad, you're going to be a better dad or a better mom. If you enjoy playing this sport, you are going to be better at that sport. So, like, trying to help them realize that they may be in this miserable, perfectionistic mindset and help them see some of those windows and doors of how to get into the enjoying growth mindset. We're always going to be better, but also, hey, we did really, really good today, right? Biggest fan, biggest critic. You should be your biggest fan, but you should also be your biggest critic, and those people are really good at being their biggest critic and aren't very good at being their biggest fan. Hmm. So that's what I challenge athletes to do all the time. And let me ask you this, because some people, uh, they think like, well, you have to be razor-focused and – you, you, you shouldn't be thinking about anything else. You got to be so razor focused. You can't have fun. And you have some people that's maybe have a little too much fun and, 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 and don't take the, their job so serious or don't take the game so serious. And some of them it works for because they don't put a lot of the pressure on themselves. Or some people, they need to be razor focused uh, to have success. So how do you – what's your um, take on, on, those, on those different people? Yeah, so first first take is you have to know who you are. Okay. Right? We have some guys who like to listen to crazy rap music, hip-hop music before a game to get hyped. <laughs> that was and me. We have guys who like to listen. Yeah, right. That was me. <laughs> and then you have guys who like to like sit in the corner and listen to symphony music and calm themselves down and practice mindfulness before a game, right? Mm -hmm. And neither is right, neither is wrong. It's best for you. And so you have to figure out how you perform best. So, for example, I would say go back to a game that you played really, really well in, right? Figure out what did you do before that game? Were you extremely hyped? Were you the, were you the hype man in the locker room, waving a towel around, being silly, goofing around, laughing? Or were you the guy kind of a little quieter, a little just keeping to yourself, sitting in the chair, doing whatever you need to do, right? Figure out what you need to do and then make sure you do that every time. Mm. That's the most important part, is there is no right or wrong way to do this, right? And I think that's why I have a job, is exactly what you just said, because if there was one equation, hey, do this, and you'll be the most confident athlete in the whole wide world, right? I wouldn't have a job. Sports <laughs> probably wouldn't even be a thing, right? Because everybody would be really good at it, and then right. nobody would like it. It wouldn't be fun at all. But the hardest part is knowing that what makes you the best may make somebody else their worst, mm -hmm. right? And, and what works for somebody else may not work for you, and that's okay. So you have to figure out what state of mind, what state of, like, we call it arousal control, right? Do you need to be really, really high? 
Do you need to be really, really low? Do you need to be somewhere in the middle? Maybe in the middle a little more towards the hype side, right? That was kind of me. Like, I needed to stay even-keeled, but I also needed to be a little hype. Like, if I was a little too far on the quiet side, like, I knew I was, like, a little too tired and wasn't going to get going to where I needed to be. But you got to figure out what, where you need to be, step one. And then, two, you have to build that awareness to figure out, am I even where I need to be right now? So maybe I need to be hyped, and I'm too quiet right now. Step three is knowing how do you get yourself back into wherever that zone you need to be in. And so I absolutely think it's totally normal to have different ways of being successful. The most important part is you knowing what you need in order to be successful and then not worry about what everybody else is doing. Because, again, what works for you may not work for other people. And that's A-OK. You know, what works for Kobe may not work for you. Maybe it does. Amazing. But it's kind of picking and choosing, seeing what other people do um, in order to figure out what you need. And, again, you can't control what other people do, but you can absolutely control what you do. And that's the most important part is knowing what you need and making sure you give yourself what you need in order to give yourself that opportunity for success. And, and that honestly sounds like it all ties back to awareness, uh, you know, being kind of aware of, of what's going on. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, Hannah, you know, based on your, your comments just now, what is it like for you after a game? Um, going up to a guy in the clubhouse, you know, say he just went, like you said, three for four, maybe he had four RBIs, maybe he hit a home run and he's feeling great about himself. And, and you walk up to him and say, Hey, great game. Now tell me, what were you thinking about? Because you're obviously trying to dig deeper, right? You're trying to find out why they had a great game and you're trying to bottle that for them and help them, uh, replicate that moving forward. What is that like? Yeah. So like you said, it all comes back to awareness and that's what I'm constantly trying to do is make sure that they are aware of what they're thinking in those big moments, right? In those, you, you played really, really well today. What were you thinking? Where was your mind at? And so we do a lot of like journaling and I encourage the guys to journal because if you journal, like if you have a really good game or a really bad game, um, I think that's important too. It's really easy for guys to pick apart a bad game and it's really you forget to pick apart the good game, right? You played really well today. Yeah, let's go celebrate. Let's be pumped. But it's also like, what did you do? We have to make sure we know what you were doing physically and mentally so that we can recreate that game, right? And so it's making sure you're taking notes both after a good game and after a bad game. But it's absolutely creating awareness around what were you thinking during this game that you played so well? Where was your mind at? Where was your arousal level at? All of this senses, where, this, where were you at? Were you tuned in? And that's, this is why awareness is important because so many times you say, you know, what were you thinking about? And they're like, I don't know. I was just out there doing my thing. I was in the zone. And to me, or, or they'll even say, I wasn't thinking about anything. I was just doing it. And as human beings, you're always thinking about something, right? Even when you're asleep. Like, we are, we're dreaming. You know, you have the falling dream. You, you wake up and you grab the side of the bed because you're freaking out that you're falling, right? Your body's listening. So you're thinking something. You are just unaware of what you're thinking. And it's absolutely my job to help you become more aware. And so hopefully we've had conversations to where you become more aware so that when you have a good game, you're like, oh, this is what I was thinking. This is the routine that I did. This is the reset that I did. And then look at the success that came. And then... We tried to write that down. We tried to talk about it. We tried to re-perform that in practice so it comes easier in a game. And we, like, practice imagery doing that. 
because if that is something that worked for them, then that's something we want to recreate. But in a in a very routine way, not a superstitious way, right? So that's also important is making sure, like, it's not because I wore these lucky socks that I played well today, right? It's because I went through all of these preparations and all of these things I did first is why I played well today. And so it's, I talk about routines versus superstitions a lot and just knowing that superstitions control you and routines you control. So, like, you're, you're in control of the routine that you do, but sometimes superstitions control you and that's something that's completely outside of your control, right? It doesn't matter what kind of socks you're wearing or your lucky underwear you're wearing, you know, whatever the case may be. But I think it all comes back to creating awareness, creating those routines, and then finding out what works and what doesn't work and going with obviously trying to recreate what works and, and eliminate the things that didn't work out of your routine. But yeah, it's all about being aware. What are you thinking about? And then taking the good and leaving the bad. Oh, oh, Hannah, you, right. oh, Hannah, you just screwed me up. I thought it was my lucky underwear. Why I play so good. <laughs> no, no, I, I totally understand where, where you're going with that. And I think you were spot on. Um, now, now, let me ask you this, because a lot of people, whether it's uh, sports or life or business, they don't like to um, admit, like, mental illness or they don't want to admit, especially in sports, macho, you know. So how – yeah, so with you, like, how does this happen? Are, the, you, know, are you recommended? Do, does everyone on the team have to come see you? How, how does that process work? Yeah, so we actually – So really important before I answer that question is I want to just mention the difference between mental performance and mental health. Okay. 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 Totally different things. Thanks for clearing that up. Um, But they're, they're, yeah, they're both needed. So mental performance is more what I do. So it's like on field performance, on core performance, it's, it's the confidence, the resiliency, the motivation, it's all of those things. Mm -hmm. Mental health is more the psychology aspect of it. Right. So this is, clinical anxiety, depression, um, eating disorder, suicidality, those type of things. Um, And we absolutely have mental performance coaches, and then we have mental health people on staff also. So what we do is on the mental performance side is everybody in our minor league system is required to come meet with us about once a month. Um, Mm -hmm. But we do have, you know, an open-door policy. They can come as much as they want. Um, to as little as I want, as long as it's a month, um, once a month, because I definitely believe and we believe that a proactive approach is smarter than a reactive approach. So I don't want you to have the best game of your life and then not know why, right? And then we have to go back and look at it, and you can't remember, right? You can go back on film and watch physically why it was the best game of your life, but mentally you may not remember because we didn't talk about awareness yet. Mm. And so we try to do all of that beforehand that way, hey, this is what I was thinking. This is why I played so good. Great, let's use that. Um, and so we try to take a very proactive approach. Obviously, we're there for, like, if, like, tough situations happen or if guys are struggling, we're there for that also. But we also just, if you're, we, we're going to meet with you if you're doing really, really well or if you're doing really, really poorly. Um, just because we're also trying to destigmatize what mental performance is, too, um, and that you don't only just go talk to the mental skills coach when something's really wrong. Oh, when you're playing really bad or when you're in a slump or whatever it is. Um, but then on the other side of that is the mental health. And we, as, as mental performance coaches, we're trained to notice when it becomes 
when it goes from being a performance issue to being a clinical issue. And we, we have all of the people that we refer out to and make sure all of the guys get that sort of help that they need, whether it's just a little anxiety or depression or if it's something pretty, pretty serious. So that's, that's just a difference. And I think it's, uh, it's our job to educate and make sure people know the difference between mental performance and mental health. But we definitely like mental performance. We're checking in on a regular basis. And it's kind of our job to recognize if there's any signs that they need a little bit more help than just on the performance side of things. And I, I love that, Hannah. And it's, you know, here at UWM where I work, I'm a leadership coach. So I meet with people. Uh, we have a ton of leaders, over 500 leaders here. And I meet with uh, the leaders. We try to have some type of interaction every quarter. And um, it's it's funny um, that not, not funny, but, you know, same deal. I meet with guys whether they're performing well or not. You know, some people can be, you know, rocking out, doing great at their job, and, you know, maybe I just check in and make sure everything is going well, and I don't overcoach. If they're doing something well, we let them go on. Now, some people, I might say, hey, you got a little extra time. You, this is going to take a minute, you know. But we meet. It's funny that you guys do that in sports and baseball, and we actually do that here yeah. uh, at UWM. Yeah, we actually, to take that a step further, Hannah, we actually, uh, every person in our company, over 5,000 people, has a monthly one-on-one with their leader, r- regardless of, of what's going on. So you talk about you know having those, those touch points and kind of uh, knowing uh, what's happening, whether it's good, bad, or, or anywhere in between. It seems like there are a lot of parallels there. Yeah, that's amazing. And I, and I, right now I love the approach, you know, of course that's bound to change, but I love it just because it's, there's no stigma. Everybody has meetings with us. So it's never like, Oh, you have to go meet with them. No, it's just my meeting. It's not my time. Um, and then also like, there's so much information that maybe if you didn't have that meeting, you would have never got. And because we just had this meeting now, all of a sudden we know this guy's going through something or that this is happening and that maybe Nobody would have been aware of if we didn't have that meeting. And so it's like, especially, I was actually just reading this article the other day, and it was talking about how, like, check on your strong friends. You know, check on the guys who always seem like they're good because those are the guys who get overlooked, right? And you're like, oh, they're good. They don't, you know, they're doing fine. Everything seems great in their life, and maybe there's something else going on. And just by asking, you all of a sudden find out, and you create that way and that that you open that door for them that they were looking for. And so... We find that pretty pretty powerful, and so especially in our minor leagues, like kind of teaching the guys that this is the thing that we're going to do. And you know, when you're a Philly, we work on the mental side of the game too. It's not just we're not just here to work you to the bones physically, but we're going to make sure you're doing everything right, taking care of yourself mentally, and also, you know, making sure all of your mental performance skills are up to date and ready and can equip you. Because my worst fear is that physically you're ready but mentally you can't handle it, right? And and so it's I say that all the time. And guys are like, oh, shoot, that would be really bad, you know, because we're spending all, all this time physically working on things. And then imagine being physically ready, but mentally you can't handle it. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's kind of my selling point. They're like, oh, yeah, I'm in. What, what do we need to do, Hannah? So it's it's cool to see them buy in more and more every year, too. So yeah, it's growing. It's exciting. Yeah. And you know what? That's my next question. I'm, I, and I'm sure you get a ton of people that buy in, but I've been a part of professional sports uh, playing in the NBA. And guys are so macho. Oh, my God, they're so macho. And have you ever had anyone uh, come sit down with you and you get any pushback where they didn't feel like they just didn't need to sit with you? <laughs> For sure. Um, <laughs> and 
one of the best lessons I ever learned in grad school was go with the goers. Mm. So it's just like, it's almost like anything else, right? If I make you sit down and force you to tell me things and force different activities and different exercises on you, you're going to resent me even more and hate me even more. And it could actually do more damage than good. And so if guys come in and they're super resistant, I'm just like, you know, I'm here for you. You know, this is what I do. I get paid to do this. Um, but if, if you're good and you don't feel like opening up yet, don't worry about it. And it's kind of cool because being a part of an organization, you, you're, I'm still working with a lot of other guys. And eventually, like some of my favorite stories, it's happened a few times now, is one of their buddies is in talking with me. And next thing you know, the buddy brings him up and is like, hey, he needs to talk to you. Mm. And But it's like just that hesitation. But because you're building relationships with other people, it kind of naturally just spreads. And they're like, well, you told this guy something to do and this worked for him. So what should I do? Mm. You know, should I do the same thing? And it's like, well, I don't know, right? You're different than he is. So let's let's get to know you a little bit. Let's figure out how this can work for you. And so it's, but you definitely have people who are anti-mental skills, just like we have people who are anti-nutrition and people who think their workout programs are better than our workout program. You know, you're uh, in any field, you're going to have those people. And so I try to just really make sure my priority is with the guys who are bought in, know that this is going to help while also making sure, like we do group workshops too. So my work is predominantly one-on-one, but there's also group workshops. And so just making sure that we're hitting on you know, those awareness pieces, those confidence pieces, those big picture pieces in the workshop. So at least those guys who may not be coming in as persistently on a one-on-one basis are still getting valuable information and helping plant those seeds that maybe, hey, you need to be more aware. The next thing you know, they have a really bad game. They're aware of it and they can grow from it. So that's kind of the perspective I take is go with the goers, but also make sure we're planting those seeds for the people who are a little more hesitant on the mental side of the game. Hey, Hannah, I, I got to ask you, uh, is there a, a guy in the major leagues today who, who you've worked with and you have a, a particular story about a, a, a meeting with him or, or, you know, a conversation with him that, that really stands out and, and you're just one that you, you think back on as, as one of the more memorable mon- moments of your career thus far? Um, yeah, there's a few guys that I've worked with that are in the big leagues right now, um, but the stories are all pretty obvious. Um, so, but you can like Google guys, mental, like mental journeys. And there's a lot of really cool articles out there on like what people do and what people have done with us. There's, there's an article out, um, right now. He's still one of our minor league players, but he battled through a, um, Tommy John surgery and we did a lot of mental work with him. It's actually a really, really cool article on the athletic, um, that kind of describes it a little bit more. But just for confidentiality, I probably can't give you too much information on stories. But I gotcha. there are some out there. I would just say Google them and see because there are some that are published out there. But there are some cool stories. And I'm hoping that because it is becoming more and more mainstream with mental health and mental performance, that more and more guys are going to start talking about it. They're already, they're already talking about it significantly more than they ever have in the past. And I only think that's going to keep growing and you're going to hear more and more stories about, yeah, I was working with my mental performance coach and this is what we talked about and then I did it and it just worked. And so I'm, I'm excited for those. So hopefully some of those stories will come out soon. 
Oh, I'm sure they will. And like you said, me- mental health has become so much bigger of a conversation now. You know, thinking about guys like Kevin Love, um, and, you know, basically admitting that, it, you know, that, you know, he's had problems with anxiety and there have been other athletes who have come out and talked about the impact of, um, you know, mental issues and, and the, um, you know, the struggles that they've been through. So you're right. Th- this is a conversation that is that is just getting started, um, you'd have to think. So it's going to become a, a much broader topic, not just in sports, but in society in general. And, you know, I want to want to also ask you, you know, we, we've covered a lot of bases here, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> but I, I want to ask you for our, for our listeners, you know, who are in the business world and, you know, maybe they're an entrepreneur, um, the small business owner out there and they're listening to this and they're thinking about, man, how can I harness some of the things that Hannah's talking about from a mental performance standpoint and use it to my advantage to be successful? Um, wh- what advice would you have for those people? I would say the most important skill I could teach you or encourage you to practice would be the act of awareness being in the present moment. Um, because I think so many times we're trying to do something or we're stuck in the past or we're stuck thinking about the future and we're forgetting to live in the very moment that you're in. Um, and that's one of the, the quotes that I saw that I tweeted about from Kobe one of the most impactful ones that I saw so far. And it says, um, it's not about the number of hours you practice. It's about the number of hours your mind is present during the practice. And I think that's incredible because sometimes we get stuck in life, just going through the motions of things and doing things because we're supposed to and, and worrying about all of these other things, whether it's in the past or the present and we're, or the future. And we're not focused on the very thing happening right in front of us. And next thing you know, life passes you by, whether it's a cool chapter, a bad chapter, uh, whatever it is. And I think the most important mental skill you can do is fiercely try to practice being in the present moment. And one of the best examples I give that people relate to a lot is just imagine driving home from work. You hop in your car, you get you get in long day and you start to head home and then you get home and all of a sudden you're sitting in your driveway or parking lot and you're like, how did I get here? And you're like, because you were, your body was driving the car, but your mind was anywhere but in the car, right? And, and it's just mindless driving. And so it's, it's being in the moment. It's taking in the senses. It's, it's trying to have those moments on a daily basis because you're going to be better for it. You're going to be a better friend. You're going to be a better everything if you're in the present moment. You're going to practice better. You're going to learn more. You're going to listen better and all of those things. And, I try to apply that on a daily basis just because a big part of my job is listening. And if I'm too busy worried about, I got to tell this guy this or do this, then I'm going to lose a lot of the relationship building that I've worked so hard to gain. And it's like, sometimes you don't even have to say anything. You just have to listen. And so it's, I think that's the biggest skill I could give anybody in life is to just try to be more in the present moment, which is absolutely a mental skill, which can absolutely be practiced. And so just challenging everybody to practice being in the present moment. And that's by practicing mindfulness. And there are a ton of apps. There's a ton of YouTube videos. There's like a ton of body scans that you can try. I mean, it's all you Google it. It's, it's a pretty hot topic right now. And I think it's because people are realizing the real value in what being in the present moment can do for you and your performance and your life and your happiness overall. You're writing that down, right, Mateen? Oh yeah, taking notes. <laughs> I'm taking notes here. And, and, and you, 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 
you brought you brought up Kobe again, and, and we kicked off the show. You know, you're talking about him and um, you know mental toughness, and, and you know another word that you have brought up a lot is confidence. Um, one interesting thing that you said, and I wrote this down because I wanted to make sure that we asked you about it. Uh, you said confidence is the bottom of the iceberg. What does that mean? Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. So, what I mean by bottom of the iceberg is confidence is the what. Okay, right. Everybody wants to be confident, right? You look up confident, you can find a bunch of cool clothes, some solid definitions, right? That's the what. But the most important part is the bottom of the iceberg, which is the how do we come, do we become confident, and the why should we be confident, right? If you don't know why you should be confident or how to be confident, it doesn't matter that you want to be confident, right? Or if a coach comes up to you and he's like, hey, be confident out here. What does that mean? How do I do that? Why do I need to do that? Right? It's just like the same example of relax, right? Hey, just relax out here. One, how do I relax? Do you even know? And two, why do I need to relax? Do I even need to relax? You know, if it's the last couple seconds of the game, I don't think I'm telling a player to relax. Maybe I'm saying, hey, control your breathing, right? It's like giving them specific things to actually do. But I absolutely believe that anything like that, like confidence, I want to be more motivated. I want to be resilient, right? I want to have a good attitude. It's like, that's great. Those are all amazing things, and I want you to have all those too. But you've got to figure out why do you need them and how are you going to do it, and then it's really going to start to impact your performance. But if you don't know the why and you don't know the how, the bottom of the iceberg, then you're just going to be stuck in this, like, raw, raw, re, right, motivational. You watch a motivational video and you're hyped for five minutes, and then it's like you never watched it, right? You're not going to remember it. It's not going to kind of become who you are but if you find out how to become confident and you find out why you need to be confident then all of a sudden it becomes a part of who you are not just this like facade you're putting on for the first couple minutes of the game or pretending to be somebody you're not you're actually embodying it and becoming that confidence that you so want to achieve and i'm so glad you said that because uh you know i coach a sixth grade basketball team and and not to pat myself on the back, but some of the parents say, you do such a great job with the kids. Well, first of all, I care about them, but I explain the how and the why. Everything that I ask them to do, I explain them how to do it, and then I explain them why you're doing it. And I think if you're facilitating, you're leading people, you're a, a coach, a teacher, whatever the case is, you have to know how to explain the how and the why. And if you can do that, then you'll be very successful at whatever you're doing. I love it. And we, we even took that. So just like you said, the, from a coach's perspective, you have to know the answers, right? Yes. So we challenged our athletes to ask the coaches, hey, why are we doing this drill? Not in a like, why are we doing this? But in a, I'm genuinely like, why are we doing this? Why is this the right way to run this play or to do this? Why in this situation are we doing this, right? And it also keeps our coaches accountable. Yes. Because we're not just doing something because we saw something cool on Twitter or (laughs) this guy did it, so we're going to do it. You know, we're doing this because it's backed by science, it's backed by research, and and, and then you explain that to them, and then all of a sudden this kid's philosophy grows, and he's not just doing something because you told him to do it. He's doing something because he knows in this game situation this is what you do. Right. And, And my husband actually coaches football, and one of the things he talks about a lot is, is kids nowadays, right, they just run and do something because that's what they're told to do. 
They don't analyze the play. They don't think outside the box anymore. And by telling these kids how and why to do something, you're helping expand their knowledge. So when different things happen, they're like, hey, maybe this could work here. And you're helping them just become their own decision maker almost instead of like being so by the book and, well, I did this in this situation because this is what you told me. Well, not every time do we do this, right? And so it's, it's don't just tell them what to do, but tell them how and why they should do it. And again, you're changing the person, not just that immediate action, right? You're changing, you're changing the athlete, not just in this specific play, do this. No, let's change your, let's, let's grow your entire philosophy on what to do during this situation. It's it. You know what it sounds like? The same thing in business. You know, if you want to create self-sufficient employees, if you're in a business, you got to tell them how they do something and tell them why they're doing it, not just what to do, right? Because if you if you explain those things to them, like you said, they're going to go out and they're going to take initiative and they're going to do it themselves and they're going to have less questions for you, which is going to create greater efficiency for your operation. Beautiful. And like, you know, any good mental skills coach will tell you we're trying to work ourselves out of a job. Right. I don't I, I want to do everything I can give you all the tools in your toolbox that you need so that if any situation arises, you know what you need. Right. Not what somebody else needs, but you know what you need. And then you don't you don't need me to sit there and remind you and help you and kind of create that. And absolutely, you're, you're getting more efficiency. You're growing them. And that's the coolest part about mental skills is you're growing them as a performer, but also as a human being, because if they master how they control their emotions, how they be more in the present moment, how they resilience, confidence, motivation, all of those words that we want to achieve. If you can get better at that playing a sport, chances are you're getting better at that as, as a human being also, which is incredibly rewarding for sure. Well, we uh, we, we appreciate you being present with us. Uh, it's, it's been a really uh, educational conversation. Uh, we, we really appreciate all of your, uh, your insights and your knowledge, not just about um, what it is you do, but um, ways that we all can improve both uh, in, in what it is we do professionally uh, and personally. And, and oh, by the way, if you would like to, um, to learn more about Hannah's approach to uh, mental performance coaching, she does a video on Instagram every Monday, hashtag Mental Sweat Monday, right, Hannah? Yep, Mental Sweat Monday on Instagram. There you go, and it's at Hannah Huseman, H-A-N-A-N-N, let me start over, H-A-N-N-A-H-H-U-E-S-M-A-N, so you can check her out there. Hannah Huseman, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, we wish you and the Phillies all the, all the luck in the upcoming season. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, guys. Had a blast. Thank you, Hannah. To make sure you never miss an episode of Power Forward, subscribe wherever you find your podcasts and leave us a review. And look for another new episode coming your way two weeks from now featuring more inspirational stories of success. I'm Justin White. We'll see you next time on Power Forward.